Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And today's topic is recovery, sports recovery. And we're going to have two special guests to bring into this topic because two of the three of us in studio right now know nothing about this. So let me first introduce Chuck. Chuck, nice. Hey, Neil, what's up? All all right, dude. Yeah, so we've recovered from things but not knowing anything about it. We've got a third in the co-host here, Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. Former uh, professional soccer pro. You've done some recovering in your day, right? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And remind me, you also did some soccer commentary in the UK, is that right? Yeah, and around the world. So uh, I get to pollute people's airwaves and they can't do anything about it, but mute me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's the solution. Mute. Okay. The one. Don't give the audience any ideas, Gary. (laughs) (laughs) So with, uh, with recovery... You know, we, we see images, you feel them, you know when things go wrong. But how do you get it right? First, how do you prevent injuries from happening that you need to recover from? And even if you weren't injured, how do you just recover from having been the star athlete that you were? Oh, when you said, how do you deal with recovery? I was like, well, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. Okay, that different kind of recovery. Because yes. that's the kind of recovery that I know about. <laughs> so what we did was we we found someone out there who may be the greatest of all time, which is now a full-blown acronym GOAT. GOAT. Greatest of all time in the sport. And it's Lindsey Vaughn, Olympic gold medalist, multiple-time world champion, mm. and America's greatest alpine skier I think we ever had. Oh, yes. And... Yeah, and possibly one of the greatest ski racers of all time. Yes. And so we have we're featuring an interview that I conducted with her uh, a little bit earlier. And so that was fun. We'll get to some clips from that. But we need some expertise in the house. And I'd like to think 
that Gary is an expert, but he's only an expert at having been injured. <laughs> That's a different kind of expertise. <laughs> okay. So who we're bringing on now is Professor Shona Halson. Professor Halson, welcome to Star Talk Sports Edition. Thank you, Neil. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Excellent. Oh, I detect a little bit of accent there. Let's see where you're from. I got you down as associate professor in the School of Behavioral and Health Sciences, Australian Catholic University, ACU. Very nice. And a senior physiologist at the Australian Institute of Sport for 15 years. And your academic background, you have a PhD in exercise physiology. I love all of these topics because the the human body and performance has been a, a side passion of mine in another universe. That's what I'd be doing. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous here. Uh, and you've published on the on the subject. And what I, I'm most intrigued is that you were the director of the Australian Olympic Committee Recovery Center for three Olympic Games. Wow. So you, it sounds like you are the right person <laughs> at the right time <laughs> to have on this freaking show. Okay. Thanks. I hope so. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hope. There's no... <laughs> You do or you do not. You are or you are not. And as far as we're, we're concerned, you are. So before I go to my first clip with Lindsey Vaughn, uh, Shona, I want to know from you, when did people start thinking about recovery as a fundamental part of the entire athletic experience? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it was really the the Russians and the East Germans that got really excited about it in the in the eighties. And so I think what we saw was that people were athletes were training more and more than ever before. Um, and there was this thought that you know it's all about the training. And then I guess in you know in the eighties we started to understand that oh maybe balancing that training with a bit of recovery is a good idea. From a science perspective, it was probably around the 2000s that we started to go, hang on, all these athletes are doing this crazy stuff. Does it actually work? Should they be doing it? When do they do it? Can they do it better? So it's probably been the last 20 years that we've started to really focus on the scientific aspect of it. But it's been around for a while. I mean, you have the... Well, ex- uh, except, except, if memory serves, the Olympics w- used to be the gentleman's activity, everybody in the Olympics had a day job that was not sports. Mm. Isn't, isn't that right? And so I don't think people thought, I mean, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm all with Shona on this. When people start being an athlete full-time, then, then you have other issues. Does that correspond with your read of the timeline, Shona? Yeah, for sure. I think that when athletes have, you know, their whole day being able to devote to training because they're not working anymore, your coaches think, fantastic, let's train them a bit more. And that can be good, but it also can be not so good. So they, you know, obviously need to, as I said, balance that out with, with a bit of recovery. We all remember those scenes in Rocky Four where Rocky is fighting Drago, the Russian, and Rocky's out there, you know, in the cabin, hauling <laughs> logs. <laughs> Thanks for that bit of... <laughs> Just like that. That's the sequel, Rocky's Speech Impediment. They're yeah, going to well, get to that in the sad. next episode. But they show Rocky doing sort of very natural things, and then Drago is there with five scientists in lab coats mm-hmm. around him. So, so, Shona, are you one of these scientists in lab coats surrounding the athletes before, during, and after they get off the off the track? Yeah, definitely. I've been one of the people that have done, you know, a fair bit of the research both in the lab, sort of measuring the athletes and testing them and seeing what we're doing with their recovery, but also in the field as well. So as you said earlier, working with the Olympic athletes and 
and testing them sometimes or, and other times just letting them run free and, and, um, and, and observing their recovery and giving them advice and education. Chuck, you hear how she said that? Let them run free. <laughs> it's like exactly. free-range free athletes. Range athletes. <laughs> they're so much happier when they're free-range. Uh, well, why do I they, sense I feel like a guinea pig? Yeah. And, and, and they taste so they much taste better. So much better. Tell you, I'm a, so a free-range experiment. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's go, let's go to my yeah. first clip with Lindsay Vaughn. And we learned from Lindsay that like recovery is an important and invisible side of an athlete's life, invisible to all the fans and viewers and, and enthusiasts. But I wanted to know from her whether she had some particular regimen from beginning to end that, that oversees all that she does to prepare and recover. So let's check it out. So we would have you know, different programs based on was it a training day, was it a race day, you know, because in, in any, any given week, we're usually racing a minimum of two days, training a minimum of two. So, you know, racing and training is not too dissimilar. The protein shake after training, replenishing all the nutrients, making sure I have my nap, making sure I don't have too many distractions. A uh, bike is critical after I train because if, if you don't, if you don't bike after you train or do some sort of kind of lactic acid flushing activity, your legs become incredibly heavy and you never actually get a chance to recover because that lactate is just sitting within your muscle. And so that, that was my routine every single day. I think I got, as I got older, the sleep became more and more important. And then also as I had injuries, my recovery, as far as, you know, physical therapy, I had physical therapy every night that became more intense and also like the preparation to be able to prepare my body to compete was, was much, much longer and more intense. I just want to make sure I heard you accurately. You're saying you will spend perhaps two days right up to the point where you're going to have to compete. So the two days pre-competition training, you, and you might have two days of events. And at the end of that, you say to yourself, oh, let me go spin on a bicycle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm or not a, done with my body. I All right. know. No, it's like immediately. And also what we, what we, we, we did actually was when we had two runs, so if it was a slalom or giant slalom where there's two runs, we would actually get a bike and position it in a place where after the first run, we could flush our legs out, spin for 15, 20 minutes, and then go up and do the second run. Because it, it, it makes such a big difference. You, you need to get oxygen and blood flow to the muscles. You know, again, like the lactic acid that we produce is very high. And also that's why you train, we train a high volume so that you can have the endurance in your legs to continue to repeat the same um, high performance every day. So Shona, is this, is what she described standard or is this just her own cocktail recipe for for kicking ass out there on the slopes. It's really common for the really good athletes to have a program and a protocol and, and something they follow. You know, some of the best athletes that I've ever worked with have had that sort of regimen and they follow it follow it really clearly. It might look a little different for different athletes, but, you know, what Lindsay suggested there that she's doing is, you know, sounds really common from a recovery perspective for her specific sport. Can you speak to that um uh, what she's talking about spinning on a bicycle and the difference between what she's talking about in recovery and what we see in an NFL game when a guy like has a muscle strain or an injury mm -hmm. and in between plays while the other team is out there, the other part of the team is out there, they're on the sidelines spinning it the same way. What, what's the difference there? 
Yeah, look, I think that's it's kind of a similar approach. And what we think about when it comes to recovery, if we're focusing on lactate, which is a bit of an interesting one in itself, because we know that lactate doesn't cause soreness. Um, we know it's involved in fatigue in some way. One of the contributors. But isn't lactate isn't lactate like a fake milk that you buy from mm, the? No. <laughs> hey, let's, no. Let me tell you something. It's in it's in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> let me just so, say. I'm just. I'm sorry. Sorry for my ignorance here. No, but I, 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 no I'm the same way. I, I, I'm telling you, it's in my refrigerator. <laughs> so what are we? So lactate. Tell me what that is. Yeah. So essentially, it's a byproduct of exercise. So you know, we when when we you know use glycolysis, which is a, you know the process to produce energy, we we produce lactate. And one of the the things is that if you do an active recovery, so you do a warm down, you're on a bike, or you're doing something low intensity, that helps speed up the clearance of that lactate. Oh, I get it. So mm. the pronunciation is lactate, not lactate. Mm. <laughs> okay, right. so I misheard that's that. That's because once, I you mis- said, <laughs> once you said that, I was like, I'm no longer drinking this milk. <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of you, got, you guys have so, crazy stuff over there. So. Sorry, right. okay. The thing, the thing here is that the body will naturally flush that lactic acid mm. out. Maybe not as fast? So what's the, what's the there deal? There you go. So what's the timeline here, Yes. Yeah, so look, usually what we see is if you've got, you know, really high lactate levels, you probably clear that, we talk about clearing it in half a minute, millimole a minute. So you're probably going to clear your lactate in 20 to 30 minutes anyway. But if you're in a situation like Lindsay where she has to do repeated runs in a short period of time, you probably want to spend the time like she's doing to get rid of that byproduct. But if you're someone who's not training again for, you know, the next day or even the afternoon, it'll clear, lactate will clear itself naturally. So I think there's an over-focus on lactate as, you know, we know it doesn't cause soreness, as I said, but it is something that does contribute to fatigue. So yes, you probably want to get rid of it if you've got a short time frame um, that you're working within. Do they pee it out? I mean, how, to say, let me get rid of it by just cycling. <laughs> you're still in a closed body because there's a layer yeah, yeah. of skin around you. It doesn't just yes. pop out of some, so how, <laughs> what does it yeah. mean to flush it out unless you're not otherwise going out to pee? And is that yeah, called well, lactating? <laughs> Different concept. <laughs> not something you do after exercise on the side go, of the- Go ahead and lactate. <laughs> not everyone does, anyway. Okay, the act of flushing your lactic acid yeah. Is that first, is that lactating to truck's point? Second, <laughs> by what means does this happen? Yeah, well, look, we actually know now one of the super interesting things about lactate is it had this, you know, really bad name for a long time. Now we know you can actually use it as a fuel. So it's a, muscles can actually take it up and use it as a, as a source of energy. So it's not kind of the big bad guy that we always, always thought it was. But yeah, you just metabolize it. And yeah, as I said, you can use it as a fuel for exercise as well. If we, if, if I had to ask you, the foundation, if I said take one thing away that ruins everybody's post-training, post-event recovery, what would it be? Scotch. <laughs> Scotch. Jack has totally nailed it. Scotch, social media, not sleeping. <laughs> social media too will totally ruin it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Taking, yeah, not sleeping. Anything that stops you sleeping, Scotch. Um, social media, no. And yeah, things that interfere with sleep actually are, you know, it, it, to Chuck's point, is actually correct. You know, like we don't want to interfere with sleep. That's our best recovery strategy that we have. And then there's things I think that athletes might do, like long active recoveries and things like that, that probably 
they don't harm, but they're probably not something that really helps either. So there's a lot of sort of things out there that athletes believe in. And, you know, we know belief is important. So, you know, if they're not harming them, you know, go for it. But I think the things that actually get in your way of recovery is probably things that are more important to avoid. And before I get to the next clip, you got to clear this up for me. Why is it that some people like a warm bath and others mm-hmm. want to be dumped in a pool of ice? <laughs> it seems to me that if you put cold on your body, that would restrict the flow of new oxygen and other things. Mm-hmm. And so, plus, I don't want to jump in a bucket of ice. So, so why do I see both happening? And I, it's left me befuddled for years. Yeah, great question. I think there's some of it's perception. Some people just hate cold water, just naturally. It's like just not comfortable. Warm mm-hmm. water is super comfortable. It's relaxing. You can, you know, we know relaxation is important recovery. Yeah. So like just chilling out <laughs> is good. But the ice bath also takes away, it's got the cold temperature. So it does reduce inflammation, which can reduce soreness. Um, so it's like icing an injury. It's like putting the whole body in, in cold. Oh, okay. So if Neil doesn't like ice yeah. in a bath rather than in, mm-hmm. in a cocktail, why don't yeah. we do something very clever scientifically and have a cryotherapy chamber, which does mm-hmm. all of this thing super quick and I don't have to spend half an hour sat in this tub of ice? <laughs> but, I mean, do they work? Do they actually yeah. work? It's, it's interesting. There's not a, we don't have as much science on the cryotherapy chamber as we have on ice baths. We've got a lot more on ice baths. But the thing about the cryotherapy chamber is air is not good at, you know, conducting heat as water, which we know. So water is a great strategy to use. Water has hydrostatic pressure, uh, which is also good for, you know, blood flow and removal of those waste products. So, and the other thing, those cryotherapy chambers, while they're really obviously very cold, I've been in both ice bath and a cryotherapy chamber, and I've probably felt colder in an ice bath because of the fact that it's water. And we know that there can be dangerous. Cryotherapy chambers can be dangerous. You can get skin, cold skin burns. Um, if you pass out in one of those and you're not supervised, uh, you're in a bit of trouble. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've actually been in one and I only lost two fingers. So. <laughs> and, and just save your body from when we figure out how to thaw you out. Yeah. Um, one, one point I want to emphasize that um, Shona just said is that if you imagine yourself running outside when it's like 33 degrees out and the air temperature, <laughs> you, you can do run out naked. You could do that and, you know, probably for five minutes or so and come back in. If I put you in a bucket of water with ice at 30 three degrees, um, you're near death after 15 minutes. So we can't overemphasize the point you're making here that uh, water will suck heat out way faster than air does, just in terms of what that uh, what that is. Let me go to my um, last clip for this segment with Lindsey Vaughn. Um, we had a chat about, uh, is it really true that you are what you eat? And how would that apply to a world champion and Olympic gold medalist? Let's check it out. So, Lindsay, in modern times, the more we read about the effects of food on us, different kinds of food, different regimens, different eating habits, the more we learn that it's affecting your, your, your physiochemistry, your physiology, more than we ever previously imagined. So when you're injured and there's inflammation, of course, there are all manner of drugs that can reduce the inflammation. Were, were there any food regimens that in your world serve the role of what in a previous day might have been some pill you took or some other drugs you were injected with? I personally try not to take any sort of painkiller. The only thing I do take every day still is is anti-inflammatory, but also Epsom salt baths, 
you know, obviously now there's a lot of science out there that says that meat causes inflammation. So I usually try to stick to fish and veggies um, and also wine. Like I, I always felt very inflamed after wine and uh, also hydration. You know, water is, people really don't understand how important water is. And, you know, if you're not able to flush all of the toxins out of your body, they will remain there. And a lot of people also don't drink good enough water to where it's actually actually being absorbed within the cell. So, but Lindsay, like, the real problem is you're not drinking good enough wine. You see? <laughs> hey, maybe you're right. I've got it all backwards. You've got it all backwards. So, doctor, apart from having Lindsay got it all backwards, as Neil <laughs> says, yeah. Um, <laughs> Is, is that kind of standard? Is there a standard nutrition recovery for athletes or do we get to a point where I have to have certain nutritions because of my event and actually, you know what, there might be a genetic thing where I have to be careful or these things work better for me. Are we, are we at that kind of level now? Yeah, I think from a nutrition perspective, we are to some extent. So athletes will definitely have, you know, the really good athletes will have their own program of what they eat and when they eat it, especially around competition, especially when you're in a foreign environment and, you know, you don't know the food, you might bring your own food. Like there's lots of things like that where we're getting more individualised. And so the prescription of what an athlete takes is quite specific to them and their sport. So taking into account the demands of their sport. Uh, but when it comes to some of the more, you know, little interesting things that athletes might do that's unique to them, that's probably not really grounded in any science, you know, there's a lot of times we sort of think, well, look, if it's not doing any harm and it's something that they might be a little superstitious about, which we know happens, then we say just go for it. And, and from a genetic perspective, you know, there's some things that we're seeing now around, you know, celiac disease and, and some of those types of really specific issues that we're starting to understand more about. But in terms of just, you know, generally is there gen genetically some foods that are better than others for us, you know, at this point for the elite athlete, we're, we're, not that, we're not at that level yet. We do see athletes that attach to trends. Like, so they'll watch a documentary on something that shows that, you know, not eating meat is good or not eating, you know, dairy is good. And then all of a sudden, without any basis to that from a testing perspective from themselves, they'll go, oh, okay, all of a sudden now I'm vegan. All of a sudden now I'm going keto. And then the dietitians have to work really hard to uh, either tell them that they're not and test them and prove that they're not or sort of work in with, you know, with what they're, what they're saying and try to do the best they can in that, in that situation. So you mentioned keto, you mean a low carb diet like, um, uh, like yeah. cavemen. Mm -hmm. And cavemen live so long. You know, it's exactly the kind of life we yeah. want to emulate. Exactly. I want to. I want to. I want to be a grandfather by the time I'm 13 because I'm going to die in four years. That's right. We got to take a break. Where we come back, more of my exclusive interview with Lindsay Vaughn, and guiding our analysis of her recovery regimens is Professor Shona Halson. We'll see you in a moment. Sleep, grocery shopping, themselves, just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add 
taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block tax pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. I got Chuck and Gary. Chuck, hey, Gary. hey, 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 Just hey! Thanks hey. for being there, because I, you know, I, I'm I'm surfing blind here for half of what we do. So I'm glad, Gary, that you can anchor that. And Chuck, I, I don't know why we have you. No, <laughs> and we're in the same boat. <laughs> Gary should just do this all by himself. He's the only one that actually was an if athlete. I, if I'm outfit. the C I dog in this scenario, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> really. <laughs> so uh, this episode we're devoting to how athletes recover, especially athletes in the prime of their life. And we are featuring my exclusive interview with Lindsey Vaughn, who is an alpine ski racer, possibly the greatest American alpine ski racer there ever was. And in the first segment, we looked at sort of training and race recovery, different regimens someone might go through. And 
Professor Shona Halson is helping us out here. Let's jump right into my next clip with Lindsay Vaughn, where we explored what does it mean to have pain while you are improving your performance. What does that mean? Is it really true, no pain, no gain? So let's find out. So tell me about pain, because there's some people who might have meditative practices. You know, so how do you prepare yourself mentally for all of this? beyond just the physical regimens that you go through? I just kind of suck it up and do it. Like, I don't really, you know, a lot of people ask me, do you have- You like, suck it up and do it. This is not, this is, <laughs> well, we spoke with Edwin Moses, the great quarter, you know, 440, the uh, guy from the Olympics, and he's, he meditates and he contemplates the cosmos and he does, and you just suck it up. It's, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, suck it up, you gotta- <laughs> There's no amount of meditation. That's There's no happen. Eastern mysticism. No, like, no. You know, just you got to put it behind you and keep on trucking. That's, that's my motto. You know, you can think about it. You can meditate about it. Or you could just suck it up and go do it. That, that, so that's the title of your next book, okay? Just, just suck it up. Behind you. Yep. It's going to be a bestseller, I'm sure. <laughs> so I did not know that uh, my mother raised Lindsey Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, so only, the only word she left out was wussy. That's the way I heard it. <laughs> Suck it up, you wussy, and do it. <clears throat> so, okay. Shona, do you deal with the psychological state of athletes <laughs> and their how they relate to the pain that they experience? Uh, to a certain extent, uh, we do some work in mental fatigue and understanding, you know, how the you know, how athletes get tired from from a mental perspective. When there's you know psychological issues, I handball those across to my to my psychology mates. But I must say that you know Lindsay's approach of sucking it up, I I really like. I think that, <laughs> yeah, my psychology mates mightn't like it, and they might say, "Come on, that's not the best approach." But I think when you know she's been doing something right, right, and if she says that she sucks it up and she just gets on with it, they're the kind athletes I love working with is, you know, no nonsense, just get out there and do it. All right. So now let me ask you this. And as from a medical perspective, mm -hmm. are there people who register pain at a higher intensity than other people? Because mm -hmm. if there is such a thing, that means the people that are lower on the intensity scale would probably feel like suck it up and do it yeah. mm -hmm. because it's actually easier for them to it's do that. Wow, good point. Mm. Yeah, what's up with that, Shona? Yeah, no, that's true. People do register pain at different levels. Um, and that's why we always compare within the individual. So we always compare to what someone's normal, you know, baseline information is, is great. So comparing to, you know, if someone's always a two out of 10, but then one day, <clears throat> one day they might be a five, you know, we go, oh, that's okay. That's a, you know, that's a bit of a bit of a worry. Whereas if someone's always five and they jump up to six, we might be like, oh, six is, you know, six is whatever. Yeah. But, but wait, but I think, isn't it more subtle than that? So for example, uh, Chuck, w was it you who we both put our hands in a bucket of ice to see how long we could keep it there? Ice okay. water. It was <clears throat> ice, ice, sorry, sorry. Ice yeah, water. Yeah, but uh, of mm. ice water. And it hurt and, a great deal. It burned. <laughs> it actually okay. burned. Yeah. And, and I knew I would win that between us only because I, I, I spent a lot of time experimenting with different temperatures. And, and, and he was going up against me. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point, Shona, is, is okay, I can put my hand in. I feel the pain. It's not like mm -hmm. I don't feel the pain, mm -hmm. but I'm 
I'm I'm I'm I'm accepting it mm -hmm. rather than not accepting it. So mm -hmm. I can I really say that I have a lower pain threshold? Um, can't we both be experiencing it the same way? But I have more more motivation, motivation. to keep my hand in. Yeah, for sure. And there's actually evidence that athletes have higher pain thresholds than the non-regular people. So, right. Yeah, yeah, they're just because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. yeah. honestly, I'm telling you right now, the pain threshold for a comedian is, <laughs> is all psychological. It's like, are we talking about childhood scarring here? Because if we're talking about childhood scarring, I'm a Viking. But we're talking about keeping our hand in a bucket of ice water. Because when I pulled my hand out, Shona, my hand, it wasn't like it just hurt. It was so stiff that I had to move my fingers with the other hand. And then this guy is like, I, it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's totally fine. And then finally, it was just like, hey, man, can you please take your hand out of that bucket? Because I got a feeling you might do some damage to yourself. <laughs> yeah. See, the thing is, Chuck, yeah. there's a motivation. And I'm because. sure Dr. Helson mm -hmm. experiences this. I have a gold medal to win. I have a podium mm -hmm. to be on. I need to be fit to play the next game. What's my motivation? A, mm. if I, as you say, wuss out, I'm, I'm, I'm not achieving any of that. And if I have to stick my foot, my hand, or whatever it is in a bucket of ice to make sure I'm there, I'm doing it because my motivation is strong enough for me to, to go through it. And what Neil's done, because he's experimented in certain areas, you get used to sticking your ankle in a bucket of ice. And you you learn how to to adapt. You learn how to work with those circumstances. I had. But to I also I also wrestled for many many years, mm. which mm. is a particularly painful uh, <clears throat> sport. So just mm. to to know what the pain is, maybe maybe that's it, Shona. You just expose people to far more pain than they ever had in their life, just to recalibrate. <laughs> can, can that work? Yeah. And you know you'll be okay, right? So that's, right. A, you know, that's one of the factors. And, and having, if, you, you know, if you've used water, especially cold water before, you do adapt to it very quickly. You know, the mm -hmm. first time an athlete jumps in an ice bath, you think, oh, my gosh, you know, they're going to have an anxiety attack or a heart attack or, you know, mm -hmm. they just freak out. But second, third, fourth time you do it, all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, I know what this is. I can handle it. So you do get, you, you do get a bit used to it. I hear childbirth is the same way. <laughs> childbirth. Yeah, really. I mean, if, if you introduce young, younger people to that kind of pain, you'll have social services on the door straight. Okay. <laughs> it's like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be really careful how you go about this. Yeah. All right, but before I bring in my next clip, uh, let me just ask Shona, there's one thing to just have heavily performed at the top of your game, and now you need to recover. But it's a whole other universe if you perform at the top of your game and then you get injured, now you're not simply recovering from having performed, you're recovering from having been injured. Mm. And mm -hmm. I asked Lindsay about this and <clears throat> my jaw was on the ground just hearing her recount it. So just, just because, by the way, you've seen ski uh, videos of people getting airlifted off the mountain and uh, doing the uh, uh, wipeouts coming down the slope. She was in at least some of those videos you've seen getting airlifted off the mountain. Let's check it out. So, Lindsay, when they're airlifting you off the ski slope, okay? By the way, this makes great television, okay? There's Lindsay Vaughn oh, yeah. going off. Great view from up there. I can see everything. <laughs> what are you thinking? What is your mental state? 
you obviously feel the pain that you just experienced, but are you asking, is my career over? Will I come back? I'm going to be back on the slopes tomorrow morning. What do you do? Because as, as Yogi Berra said, you know, 90% of the game is half mental. <laughs> at some point, your brain... At some point, your brain has to matter here, your mind. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. You know, when I'm being helicoptered off, I try to think about how much it hurts and is this career ending? Is this, you know, a small setback? What do I think it is? And I tried, I really try hard not to overthink things until I get the doctor's opinion, until I get the MRIs and the CT scans. And then once I know what the injury is, then I say, okay, how long is it going to take? How long is it going to take for me to get back? Is it six months? Is it eight months? Is it 10 months? And then I say, okay, I can work myself back from there. Like I always need to have a goal. What's the end game? Oh. And, and so as long as goal, I know goal. the end game, I'm goal oriented. So once I know the end game, then I can get to work right away. So again, there's a bit of psychology there, Sean. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I guess the fact that you got to consider is to be an alpine skier, got to be a special kind of person anyway, because that's a, you know, it's a unique, it's dangerous, it's, you know, yeah, it's it's certainly not the sport that a lot of people would go, yeah, that's the thing that I want to do, that looks amazing. And so, you know, she's obviously been successful, she's got a certain mindset and having that goal outcome that, you know, and to be able to think about that process of how she's going to get there, I think is a really useful strategy for her recovery. But she's not a magician, and she's still human, right? So an injury is an injury. So how do you, in in your sort of recovery universe, how do you, you, I remember the old days, you would sort of immobilize it and say, don't move for six weeks. And and clearly we've evolved from that. So where is the state of body damage recovery today? Yeah, I guess there's sort of phases within the recovery and it's very different depending on, you know, surgeries needed or, you know, you know what type of rehabilitation is needed based on that surgery. Um, but then what we do is as, they, as the athlete starts to get moving again and starts to be active and what we're finding is athletes are definitely more active earlier than what they used to be. That immobilisation period for, you know, a couple of months doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. I mean, that's very general depending on the injury. But then we start to get, when they start to train again, we start to, they start to move again, we start to tailor some of those therapies around that. And a lot of it looks like, you know, massage and and ice and compression and some of those more medical oriented um, recovery strategies. So yeah, it's a process and it's it's very dependent on on the type of athlete, the damage they've done, the type of sport they do, the team around them, doctors, physios, massage, everyone gets involved. You know, if it was a Lindsay Vaughn we were working with, we would all be hands on deck, everyone communicating, talking to each other, getting a plan in place. But Doctor, if you have a serious crash like that and you get airlifted off a slope and Mm. it's TV footage all around the world, you can rebuild the body, hopefully. But Mm. how if if you don't get inside the head and realign that athlete's thinking... It's a problem. So is, is that as an important process as recovery for the body as well as recovery from a crash like that mentally? 
Yeah, and I can imagine there's a cert, like a lot of athletes, if they've done an injury, have a fear of doing that injury again in the same way that they've done it. So I can only imagine that if you were airlifted off a ski slope, having done a particular injury on a particular run, you can't tell me that's not going to be in your head the next time you do it. So I think that's the challenge for a lot of athletes is dealing with that fear of, I don't want to do that again. And I remember yeah. that and you focus on the negative and, and then you obviously run the risk of actually doing it again if you're not on your game. Yeah, because I think the answer of getting airlifted off a ski slope is, God wants me to swim now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's it. How you do your injury matters. Like if you're a, if you're a swimmer and you do your shoulder because you've done 50 billion laps in your life, that's different to falling off, you know, having a really bad crash and hurting your head or hurting your knee or whatever on a ski slope. So, mm-hmm. what, what happens? We, we've spoken to some of the top surgeons on this show, particularly Dr. Kevin Stone, who's a, a knee specialist. Mm-hmm. And he said some athletes cheat the recovery time and they teach him about how you recover. Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how do you cheat as an athlete the recovery time? Because basically you have that surgery, it takes this long to recover. Mm-hmm. So how do they shave mm-hmm. the time off? What are they doing? Yeah, and I think part of it is that you elite athletes are so unique. You know, you look at the scientific data and you say, yes, that's how long it takes. But then you go, well, we don't deal with the 0.0001% of the populations in our scientific in, in a lot of scientific research. That's so, right. They're not in your data. That's yeah. right. They're oh not my modern. gosh. They're, They're not like in the large-scale data sets. Okay. Four standard deviations away from the mean, these guys. They're so unique. And so sometimes we can't treat them like we treat every other individual in the statistics. You know, you can't say this is the average this or this is the average that because they're way out of it, a lot of them. Just to quantify four standard deviations away would be like one in a few million. Is that right? One in 10 million? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, something big. Yeah. Big, okay. yeah, yeah. One in big number. One yes. in big, yeah. Like someone like... <laughs> Lindsay, right, you're a super athlete. You're one of the ones that is at a high level, repeats it not just once but over numerous times, over numerous years. They're super elite. We don't have a lot of data on them. So you just got to – maybe they're not cheating the system. Maybe they're just being them and that's they're just special. Ooh. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to the third segment of Star Talk Sports Edition, which we like to call Shoot the Shit. And in it, we'll have uh, Professor Shona Halson just – telling us like it is, and possibly giving advice for people who are aspiring athletes who want to be at the top of their game when we return. Bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. 
Learn more at ship.com slash high. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. We're back. Star Talk Sports Edition. We've got with us... Professor Shona Holson, who's dialing in from Australia. Thank you. You're 13 hours, 14 hours in some direction or another away from us. Thank you for being on the other side of the world and contributing to this show. Uh, We're talking about recovery, and this has been your entire life uh, professionally. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, are are there any outliers that you saw, like somebody who either should have been injured when something happened to them and they weren't, or, or some freak injury that you've never seen before. Uh, tell me about some of the, the outliers in your life experience. Yeah, I think the top athletes, always the, the really top, top, top super elites, you know, there's always something about them that's a bit of an outlier. I think some of the ones that I find most difficult to deal with are the athletes who are exceptional at what they do, but they don't follow any of the rules when it comes to recovery. So it's like they're kind of good despite of the fact that they sleep really ordinary and they don't, you know, they don't do any of the recovery practices. And, and so for them, it's kind of like, well, you're just good anyway you're just genetically gifted or, you know, you've been doing your sport since you were a kid. And so you look and you go, you don't fit the mould. Like you're not doing any of the things that you're supposed to be doing and you're still really, really good. And so they're always, you know, it's easy when someone's doing bad things, you can fix them and you can, you know, you can see their performance change and that's really rewarding to work with. But then you get the ones and like, you're just good anyway. You don't need me. You're doing everything wrong. And, uh, And trying to work with those guys is always a bit of a challenge. There's some sports, for example, like the NBA, where, you know, you've got, and I've worked with a couple of teams and, you know, some of those players are real challenges to work with, right? Because they're like super good. They don't do much recovery. They kind of, they don't sleep because they're playing, you know, across different sides of the country all the time. And, but they're genetically gifted. They've been playing ball since they could stand and they're just really good. And so sometimes, like I say, there's, you know, there's not that much that you can do to help them. And then you also think, well, you're really good. Do I actually want to muck around with you? If you're seven foot three and you can play mm. ball, you're a unicorn, right? So you're one of the ones that the, the scouts look for. You're just going to be good anyway. So sometimes there's a plate, you know, scientists are like, well, just step back and you just, you do you because you're obviously, you know, you're doing something right. Well, we, we had a tennis player. What's Nick Kyrgios? Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios. Love Nick Kyrgios. And yeah. his whole thing was, first of all, I wanted to play basketball. He didn't really say this. I'm, power, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing because this is what really came off of him. I wanted to play basketball. I couldn't play basketball. I'm pretty good at tennis. I don't really have to work at it. And so, yeah, I'm going to play a match and go have a couple drinks and maybe I'll get five mm-hmm. hours sleep. I'm going to smoke mm-hmm. a cigarette and then go play a match. Like and let out the scotch. You got to have scotch. Yeah, too. exactly. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, so, I mean, the thing about 
the thing about Nick, who, you know, I've, I work at the Australian Open every year, down the, the tennis, and, you know, I don't work directly with Nick, but, you know, the thing about Nick is, you know, he's great for the sport. Young kids are coming and watching tennis that have never watched tennis before. Um, because, but of him. He, because, because of him. Because of him. Yeah. Because of, yeah, he's a dude, he's cool, but also he hasn't reached his potential. Like, you know, he should be, you know, you know, you wonder if he actually tried hard and he did all the right things, whether, you know, he could be the next absolute superstar because his, his his talent is extraordinary. Right. He's really, really good, but he's not top 10, right? Isn't that? And he right. should be. And he been, should he's be. been ranked 13th in the world. 13th. That's as okay. high as he's risen. And, and let me tell you right. something. So the question is, is it, is it you know, what do you want? Uh, 13th and basically I uh, I sleep till noon and then I have pancakes <laughs> All right. <laughs> or number eight. And my entire life is devoted to nothing but tennis and I have no fun mm -hmm. ever. So I don't know. It just depends how much you like pancakes. <laughs> so where are where are we now, Professor? Because we've got compression garments, which basically are we still at the DVT sock stage or have we gone up a couple of what, levels? What are DVT socks? Deep vein thrombosis. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. you might see people on aircraft wear. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, so it's a good question because what we see is things that come from the medical world, like compression socks for DVT, like ice cryotherapy, it's transitioned into the athlete world because we think, oh, yeah, that'll work. that works for a sick person or an injured person. Let's bring it into recovery on a day-to-day -day basis for athletes. And compression is one of those things. Although now it's gotten, you know, they look great and they're, you know, they've got all fancy things, you know, the, the old compression socks look very different to the new, you know, fancy. It's, it's compression socks as fashion, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, as fancy tights with, you know, glow-in-the-dark <clears throat> stuff on it. So, yeah, look, stuff like that, we has, we're doing the research, we sort of understand that, yeah, probably does have a positive effect for athletes' recovery, but we do see a lot of those things come from the medical world. Okay. Mm. And how about copper? I mean, this is just, I'm just saying, I see these commercials all the time and they're like, and it's infused with the healing power of <laughs> copper and it's a compression gun. Is that just BS? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> we and the thing is, it, I guess it's sometimes hard as a, you know, as a, as a scientist where we always play catch up. You know, the athletes in the Tour de France were drinking flat Coke at the end of stages for years. And then we did, we were like, that's bad. So then we go and do the study and we go, oh, no, that's good. Um, it actually works. So, you know, there's things like that where athletes are ahead of the game for the majority of the time. And we have to come in and say, is that good or bad? And based on the mechanism and our knowledge, we go, oh, yeah, that's probably bad or maybe it's not bad. And then you do the research and it comes out five years later. And so sometimes it proves what the athletes already knew. And they say, you didn't need to study that. We knew that. We've been doing that, you know, for the last four I, years. I, I'm going with the copper is bullshit side of yeah. that argument. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. stick, sticking, sticking with that, <laughs> what, what wearables are out there that could possibly oh. be advantageous to recovery? Yeah, most of the wearables now in terms of monitoring uh, is sort of where it's at. So, mm. you know, different styles of watches and, and you know, they some are good, some are bad. But for me, it's about what you do with that information. So, oh, so it's, cl it's clothing infused with electronics yeah, to, that's, that's the to measure you. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah that's some right. of those. That's the new kind of new direction. There's some, yeah, they're, they're not perfect and there's not a huge amount of those out there, but that's sort of the direction that it's heading. Most of the wearables, though, that have something in it that say it, infuses something or gives you some sort of electrical stimulation is 
is a bit of a crock. You know, there's, there's nothing there to suggest that that would actually do anything. But when we talk wearables, we talk mainly about technology like watches and, and heart rate monitors and GPS and <clears throat> those kinds of things where you're measuring something. And um, there's, there's definitely some pros and cons to those. Then you can have too much information and cause athletes to get stressed and perfectionist and worried about things. But generally, some of those wearables are a good tool to start a conversation between yeah, I think and the scientists. One of the one of the more beautiful storylines, whether or not it happens in real life, is other people know that someone has limits that they'll never cross, but the person mm-hmm. doesn't know it, and then they end up crossing the limits yeah. uh, into a new place. And they said, "How did you do that?" And I said, "I didn't know. I wasn't supposed to be able to." Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> there, it's possible mm-hmm. to to the knowledge. This is the too much information point mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where the knowledge of information that someone else tells you is where you should stop. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know it, you just keep going and, oh my gosh, you just set a world record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you either set a world, world record or you break your ACL. You know, there's... Wow. And hopefully it's to break the world record, right? <laughs> so if, if we go back, go back a step to a bit earlier on in our, our show here today. You said how sleep is vital. Mm-hmm. Well, I went to sleep, but what quality of sleep did I get? How do I know? Can I monitor that right now and say, I had X amount of this sleep, X amount of that sleep, and what what are the sort of categories? Exactly. You got measures to see if you had a good night's sleep? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely wearables that do that, that give you an estimation of your of your of how well you've slept, tell you your duration as well as as an estimation of your quality. Some do it better than others. Usually, the more expensive ones with better algorithms do it better. Mm-hmm. Um, are they testing? Of, are they looking at your brain waves or or what? Or your what do they monitor? What are they getting out of your head? Yeah, look, if I was to measure an athlete in a sleep lab, yes, we'd have electrodes, we'd measure polysomnography, brain activity, movement, the whole lot. When you're talking the wearables that you can buy um, at your shop, they use mostly accelerometry. So they just detect movement, certain amount of movement, you're awake, lower amount of movement, you're asleep. Some now measure heart rate, heart rate variability, temperature. You know, the more variables you add into that equation, usually the bet, the more accurate it is when it comes to sleep. And there's now devices that you can buy that do measure some aspect of brain activity, but very early days on those. So most of them work just off movement. Well, I have to ask, do other people in your household have electrodes that you put on their head for you to get data? <laughs> no, no. And I'm also someone that doesn't, I don't wear, I don't like the monitoring. I don't wear anything. I just, I just do what I do. Um, I'm not one that likes too much. I know scientists saying I don't like too much information, but um, for myself, um, don't tell anybody our secret. I work with. That's our secret. We won't tell anybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, athletes, you should. I just don't like it. So in, in your, in your, uh, in your uh, experience and expertise, what is the one thing that we can all do if you're a gym rat or a weekend warrior or what, to make sure that you r- recover properly and stave off injury? What's the one thing that they do that we could also do? Yeah, look, sleep is 100% the thing. Sleep and nutrition, they're your foundations of good recovery. And so if I do see people, even, you know, the average, you know, weekend warrior who decides that they're going to buy a piece of high-tech kit to increase their recovery, but they're not sleeping and they're not eating well. And it's like, get your foundation right, get your basics right, and then you can add the fancy recovery strategies on top. So, oh, man, yeah, that, sleep that, would be the one. 
That is not, that's not what anybody wants to hear. Wants to hear? No, they want the shiny they stuff. They want something shiny, man. <laughs> um, it's, you, were, you just reminded me of, there was a point where I had, I was much bigger than I am and I lost 31 pounds and I was standing at, at a comedy club bar and I was talking to a comedian who hadn't seen me. He was like, geez, man, you look great. God, how did you do this, man? Look how thin you are. And then this lady said, hey, I just heard that guy say that you lost a bunch of weight. And I was like, yeah, I lost 31 pounds. She said, how'd you do it? I said, well, actually, I started exercising mm -hmm. at least four times a week. And mm -hmm. I changed my diet completely. I cut out like sugar and I just ate like a lot of vegetables and lean protein. And she went, F that. Who <laughs> <laughs> would have thought? Diet and exercise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. People Can don't I want to hear the hard stuff. Give me a pill. Everybody wants a secret. They just want the one they, secret, that's it. easy yeah. hack, thing. Everyone wants to yeah. hack. Hack my day, hack my sleep, hack my life. It's right. Like, By the way, that, that, that exists in basically every profession. I, I, yeah. I even tweeted about this once because mm -hmm. I, I was tired of hearing it. People come, they, they, eat a meal prepared by some master chef, mm -hmm. and then they go to the chef and say, what's your secret for this? As though, oh, just do this and you can do this too. No, no, the secret is, yeah, I went to chef school for eight <laughs> yes, years. That's, that's the secret. Yeah, yeah. That work. Yeah. I learned that's, not to burn stuff. That is funny. <laughs> what's your secret? I spent 40 grand at Culinary <laughs> Institute of America. <laughs> that's Surprise. Yeah. But anyhow, we got we actually got to call it quits there. But oh, but Shona, thank you for coming on and, and helping us uh, bring nuanced insights and academic um, understanding to what uh, Lindsay was sharing with us about her life as an athlete. So uh, thank you. Is there anything we need to know about what's coming up for you? Uh, look, coming up for us really in my academic world is, yes, we're just looking at lots of more sleep research, lots of more good interventions, understanding athlete sleep. I'll be working down the tennis in a couple of weeks down in Melbourne at the Aussie Open. We'll in Melbourne, 40, okay, yeah, okay. About 40 degrees, well, actually, Celsius. Yeah, it's summertime <laughs> there now. Mm -hmm. Right now yeah. we're recording in, in January. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hot, hot, about a million percent humidity here at the moment, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well, stay, stay active and stay, and uh, keep that going because we need you because we see the products of what you do in the talents of the athletes that you touch. So thank mm -hmm. you. Uh, Chuck, thank always you. good to have you. Always a pleasure. All right, Gary. Thank you, Neil. Y'all be good. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, as always, bidding you to keep looking up. Feel like you got enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. 
I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.